0: Hey, welcome, welcome to those who are are joining online. I am so excited because... We start a brand new series today, and then we're going to have to take a break as Andrew Colon is coming. So, so excited to get reconnected with Andrew. Andrew went to the University of Valley Forge and then went to graduate school at Princeton Theological Seminary. He works in the network office in the Southern New England District in charge of church ministries, and I just can't wait to have him back. He was here a few years ago, and he always brings an excellent message so we're looking forward to having him seeing Pastor John next weekend and then uh, two weeks leading up to thanksgiving what what we're going to be talking about is the three thieves of thanksgiving and and this is built around to lead us up to Thanksgiving because I have noticed that our enemy, the devil, uses these conditions i'm going to, i'll call them conditions such as comparison envy jealousy bitterness that really rob and steal from us being thankful people. How can be thankful if you're full of bitterness and envy and jealousy. And, and if you're comparing all the time and you're not grateful for what you have. That doesn't lead to being a thankful person. So uh, that's where we are today. We're going to look at the first thief of comparison. And with social media today, this is such an important topic. Because a lot of people go on social media and think that everybody has it great and your life is the pits, and therefore you're so ungrateful. So uh, we're going to turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter, I mean Luke, John chapter 21, starting with verse 18, but let me just set the context for you. Remember how Jesus told his disciples that all of them were, were going to desert him? And then you had Peter, Lord, if all of them desert you, certainly I won't. And Jesus said, whoa, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows twice, you're going to dumb-eye me three times. And Peter observed the death, the burial, and the crucifixion of Jesus. You have him denying Jesus three times. And after the resurrection... Jesus comes along the Sea of Galilee, and Peter's so depressed, he just goes back to what he's been used to doing, fishing. And Jesus asks him, Hey, have you caught any fish? And and Peter didn't know it was Jesus. And and Peter says, No, throw them the nets on the other side, and they catch this large amount of fish, 53, 153 fish, and they came and bring in the net, and Peter recognized that it's Jesus. And Peter runs to see Jesus, gets out of the boat runs across the, you know, on the water, just goes, goes through the water, uh, and, and Jesus cooks them a little meal, and then, then Jesus pulls Peter aside. Come here, Peter. I, I, I need to talk to you. Do you love me? And Peter says, yeah, of course I love you. Do you love me more than these? Yes. And what's real interesting in the original language, we don't see it, but Jesus uses the word agape. Do you Love me unconditionally. And Peter says, I love you as a brother. Philia is the Greek word instead of agape. And Peter kept responding like that. And I know we get kind of rough on Peter sometimes, but Peter was just being honest. Because Peter says, I can't respond with an agape love because if I did love you unconditionally, I wouldn't be out here fishing. And then after Jesus reinstates him, he starts to tell Peter what the end of his life is going to look like. Would any of you want to know what the end of your life looks like? <laughs> Listen to what he says. I tell you the truth. Peter, when, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the type of death Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. Was following them. That that was John. John's writing about himself here. This is the one who leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? Peter heard what his future holds. And then he saw the disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And Peter says, hey, Lord. What about him? What about him. Could you imagine if Jesus had told Peter what was in store for John? Peter, you're going to be crucified. But out of all the other disciples, Jesus is the only one who's going to die a natural death. And we try to compare all the time. Could you imagine if Peter went the rest of his life realizing that John was going to be the only one who dies a natural death? Longing for another's blessing while ignoring what God has for you? And that's what comparison does. Whenever we start to compare, it seems like sometimes we want to long for someone else's blessings and ignore what God has blessed us with. I want to look at the cause of comparison. I want to look at the consequences of comparison. And then I want to take a look at the cure of comparison. What causes us to compare? Well, a lot of times we feel insecure with ourselves. And believe it or not, when we can compare ourselves to someone who has it worse than us, We compare because it makes us feel better. Remember Jesus told the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector? They went into the temple to pray, and the Pharisee started saying, Oh, God, I thank you I'm not like other men. I thank you I'm not like an evildoer. I thank, thank God that I'm not a robber. I thank God I'm not an adulterer. I thank God I'm not like that tax collector. And we do that all the time. We compare ourselves to people who are less than us because we feel insecure, and it makes us Feel better. Sometimes we compare to evaluate. And sometimes as we evaluate someone, well, that can motivate us to do better. Or sometimes when we evaluate and we see all that others have, sometimes it just makes us feel worse and more depressed. Why do we compare Because it's just human nature. It's a habit. We always look to what someone else is doing, where they're going, what type of vacation, what type of car, what type of house, what type of summer home. And all of a sudden, we become envious and not thankful for what God has given to us. Now, I want to go back to Peter for a moment. Jesus asked his disciples one time, who, who do men say I am? And some say Elijah. You know, some, some say Moses. Some say you're a prophet. But who do you say I am? And do you remember who stood up and answered that question? It was Peter. Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon For this wasn't revealed to you by man, but by God. And Jesus says, I'm no longer going to call you Simon. I'm going to call you Rocky. Peter, the rock. And because of your faith and because of your heart, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, don't you think Peter's head got a little big? I mean, James and John had their mommy trying to you know get them to the higher place and peter says who needs their mommy i'm the man i'm the rock and then you have that time when jesus was arrested And it was Peter. Peter is this one who always has to make himself recognized. Peter is this always one who has to stand out. He was this rough, rugged, impetuous fisherman. Now he's a follower of Jesus. And when they come to arrest Jesus, he, he takes his sword and he cuts off the servant of the high priest, the ear of the servant of the high priest. Now what's kind of interesting Matthew, Mark, Luke's account, it never mentions who does that. It just says one of them. One of them. But in John's account, John says Peter. And I've always wondered maybe, perhaps, I'm just assuming. Come on, they were human like you and I. If there wasn't a little friction, a little jealousy, a little envy between the two, after all, John was the one whom Jesus loved. And here's Peter who's upon this rock, the church will be. But Peter never seemed to get the recognition. So Peter turned, feeling a little inferior to that disciple whom Jesus loved. Hey, Lord, what about him? Can I say something? When we start comparing ourselves with others, it becomes a slippery slope where we can lose our thankfulness to what God has done in our own life. And honestly... A lot of the things you see on social media, it doesn't tell the whole story of what's taking place in that person's life. So what are some of the causes? I'm just, hey, you know me. Can I just speak from an experience of some of the causes of comparison? When my oldest sister got married, her and her husband moved into house they bought. When my middle sister got married, they lived in an apartment for two years. Then they bought their little Cape Cod house. Four years later, they built this beautiful house up in the hills of Hackettstown with a deck and a hot tub and an in-ground pool. For years, I would visit them, and I've just come home to the place that the church has given me to live. Not that I wasn't thankful, but it wasn't until I was 41 years old that I was able to buy my own house, my own place. And during that time, sometimes you questioned your trust in God. His timing, his provision, his plan, his sovereignty. Lord, why, why do my sisters have their own place? And, and God, I've been serving you and I have nothing. You ever been there before? I'm, you know what I'm talking about. You, you feel, you know, this pity party, feel sorry for yourself. But I stand here today reminding myself that God's timing is always perfect his provisions never fail, his plan is always right and he does watch over you because guess what i get to do next month make my last mortgage payment boya yeah. <laughs> God's timing his provision is plans you you have to when you start to compare you can have this pity party where you think that God doesn't love you. God doesn't care for you. But when you look at what you've been through and all that he does, you know that his provisions, his sovereignty, his plan, his timing is always true, always right on. Consequences, lack of understanding your gifts. I, I, I have to laugh. I, I've seen some young men, you know, who... Who, who, who felt called into ministry and, and they would watch hours of Billy Graham videos. And, and when given the opportunity to preach, you know, they were the second coming to Billy Graham. You know, they had to preach just like him. And I'm like, be your own person. Use your own gifts, abilities, and talents. You don't have to copy an individual. Greg Hubbard, an evangelist. Some of you know Greg's come here. Remember when Greg first started off? He 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 sweats all the time. He's got this. He just sweats. So he comes with a towel, and he used to come with Gatorade. He used to come with two bottles of Gatorade, and that was Greg Hubbard, the evangelist, towel and Gatorade. There was a, a young man who God. He felt God was calling him to be an evangelist. So one Sunday night, I said, hey, why don't you come? He comes through the door with a towel and two bottles of Gatorade. Be your own person. Know your gifts, your abilities, and your talents. You don't have to be like somebody else. Because God has created you with a unique gifting and a unique talent that's just for you. How do I know? I used to sit and listen to missionaries after missionaries after missionaries ride home on a Sunday night feeling sorry for myself because I don't sacrifice like they do. And if the truth is to be known, the many mission trips I've been on, I always think I love to do mission trips because I thought I would get the call. In fact, people say, you know, they see my burden for missions. How come you're not a missionary? I have a burden for missions, but I realized a number of years ago I was not called to be a missionary. I was called with the giftings of a pastor, so be a pastor. And you don't have to be jealous of missionaries. Not everybody's called to work with children. Not everybody has the patience to work with young people. Not everybody is... Gifted to work with special needs children. Not everybody is gifted to go into nursing homes and minister. Not everybody can go to food pantry and hand out food. We all have different gifts and abilities and talents. And if you see someone who go into a food bank, well, try it. But if it's not you, it's not a big deal. Maybe God has a different gift for you. A different ability. A different talent. No Who you are, your gifts and abilities, and use it for the glory of God. You don't have to copy something you're not. But when we compare, it starts to happen all the time. Theodore Roosevelt called comparison, I thought this was so interesting, the thief of joy. The thief of joy. Now, what I'm about to read to you is critical in our Christian life. J.B. Phillips, many years ago, wrote a book, Your God is Too Small. It's out of print. If you can get your hands on it, get a copy of it. And I would give you mine, but this is what happens. I lend out books and I never get them back. And this book is one of those keepers, man. I, it's, it's too precious because I refer to it a lot. J.B. Phillips says this. Oops, where's my J.B. Phillips quote? For many people, the greatest stumbling block to a mature faith lies in the fact that they haven't found a big enough God to meet their needs. Big enough to account for their life. Big enough to command respect, worship, and joy. Think about that. I got a little ahead of myself. Let me go back. Paul says, I've learned what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed, hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Here's what I see with this attribute of joy. We all want to pursue happiness. There are many people who just are on the road to, to seek and to find happiness, but happiness is based upon circumstances and possessions. Circumstances and possessions are only temporary, we are eternal beings. We've been created in the image of God. And as we try to pursue happiness based upon circumstances, based upon material possessions, we never find happiness because we are eternal beings. It never satisfies. The only sad thing that will satisfy eternal beings are something that is eternal the eternal God who gives joy that is everlasting. Joy that's not based upon circumstances, joy that's not based upon possessions, joy that's based upon your relationship with Jesus Christ. And no matter what you have or no matter what you don't have, no matter what you're going through, you can have a joy that's based on eternal relationship that will never fade. Yet we're trying to constantly compare to to define what gives that one happiness. And if we get that same thing, then we'll be happy. What's the cure for comparison? The psalmist says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. You know what the word magnify means? It means to make big. It means to make large. Have you ever been out shopping before and you're trying to read the fine print and your glasses aren't even good enough to read it? So you get your smartphone out, you take a picture and you enlarge and all of a sudden, some of you are shaking, you know exactly what I'm talking. It's, man, smartphones are awesome, aren't they? Where it's, it's your instant magnifying glass. That's what we need to do with God. We need to keep making him big. We need to keep making him large. As J.B. Phillips says, there's too many people who serve a small God, but when you serve a big God, when you magnify him, it doesn't matter what you don't have or what you have. It doesn't matter what other people have and what you don't have. It doesn't matter what gifts they have and what gifts you have. When you magnify God to be big, He's your all in all. He's all you need. I was talking to a pastor this week. I mean, Friday, I, I did the burial service for my friend Frank Gashione. was up north, and the pastor of the church there was talking about how hard they had been hit with covid They used to run about 180 people, and they're down to about 40 people. A lot of people just haven't come back. And he says, you know, there's this weeding out. There's this no commitment. There's this lack of. And I felt like saying the problem is their God is too small because if they served a big God, there would be a respect for worship and being at God's house. We serve a big God, my friends. Magnify him. And as you magnify him and he becomes the biggest thing in your life. It doesn't matter where others are going or what they're doing. It doesn't matter what talents they have. You are content with your God, your father. Develop gratitude. Paul says it this way. Be joyful always. Pray continuously. Give give thanks in all circumstances. You want to know what God's will is for you? To give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Homework. You ready for your homework assignment? We've been talking a lot about class lectures and then getting out into the lab where you actually practice what you learned. On your way out, I trust that you'll pick up one of the Thanksgiving journals. Do you realize it's less than a month away to Thanksgiving? In fact, 25 days. Thanksgiving is 25 days away. Here's your homework assignment for the next 25 days. Take a journal home with you. I'm not asking much. After dinner... Before bed, take five minutes to sit in a quiet place. Reflect upon the day and begin to write what you're thankful for that day. It's simple. No one else is going to see this, so you don't have to worry about complete sentences. You don't have to worry about handwriting. You don't have to worry about spelling words correctly. It's just just you. And after dinner, for the next 25 days, reflect upon the day and to begin to write what you're thankful for. Sean Acor, graduate of Harvard University and the School of Divinity there at Harvard, is an author, a speaker with positive uh, psychology, says this. Pastor Bonnie gave this to me. 5 positives per day written down for a week affects the amygdala 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 affects the amygdala for 6 months and you're like the amygdala what's the amygdala the amygdala is the region of the brain primarily associated with emotional processing fear anxiety worry pleasure anger and, and Sean says, all you have to do for, for one week, write down five positives of day, and that can check, change your, your brain processing in the emotions for six months. Pastor Bonnie, you can come. I'm telling you, if you sit down, and you just write what you're thankful for each day for the next 25 days, I'm telling you, Thanksgiving is going to be a glorious event. (sighs) If you look fast forward Peter's life, If you fast forward Peter's life and you look at what he writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, you can't help but think that Peter stopped comparing. He started to magnify. He developed a heart of gratitude because when you read these words towards the end of his life, All of a sudden, you'll sense that he came to peace. He came to grips with what the Lord had for him at the end of his life. He says, I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent of the body. He realized that his body was just a tent, it wasn't going to be here forever. Because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear that when you're old you're not going to be able to dress yourself and your hands will lead you to where you do not want to go. To, to me when I read this he, he, he came to complete confidence complete peace that he didn't care about anybody else he, he was content with God and how God would glorify himself through the end of his life. You know what tradition says? That when they went to crucify Peter, you know what Peter's request was? Please, I'm not worthy to be crucified like Jesus. Crucify me upside down. him it doesn't matter okay Lord I'll just make you big I'll just keep giving you thanks and in the end I'll die a death that glorifies God don't allow Satan to rob you from being a thankful person by having you constantly compare yourself to others. Know that God has created you as a unique individual, distinct with gifts and abilities, and move within that which he has given you. And be thankful for what he has given you. Would you bow your heads? In fact, could you just stand? If you're able, would you stand? Oh, we give you thanks, Lord. We give you thanks, Lord. Father, as we're constantly bombarded with media, commercials, advertisements social media, postings of these lives that seem so wonderful. Lord, we start feeling so low. Or Father, I think about the dangers of sometimes as we compare like that Pharisee and thank you that we're not like other men. Our family's not like other families. It's so easy to become judgmental and self-righteous. Where that doesn't lend for a, a thankful heart. And Father, through these next 25 days leading up to that day of, of thanksgiving, Lord, we're not going to allow Satan to rob us From the ability to give thanks. So, therefore, this week we will magnify and make you big. We will write in our journals what we're grateful for, what we're thankful for every day. And as Pastor Bonnie even stated, you're gonna transform our lives through the renewing of our minds. Give thanks. We give you thanks, Lord. Can you just begin to give thanks to him right now? Maybe there's something in your life that you need to crucify. Maybe you've been in the habit of of self-pity parties and, and comparing yourself and, and, and just kind of like in a pit of despair because you don't have what other people have? Can, can you just start to confess and give God thanks for what you do have? that course give thanks give, give thanks